Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Jana Whitfer. And Maria, as usual. And we are so excited to have Nick Hayes here. He is a senior PMM, standing for Product Marketing Manager, not Partner Marketing Manager, at CrowdStrike, the Falcon Company. So we are so excited to have you here, Nick. This is going to be lots of fun. Excited to be here. I love this. Awesome. Okay, so... You have a very interesting story and background because you started actually, or I don't know exactly where you started at the beginning of your career, but before you were at CrowdStrike, you were an analyst. You were one of the fabled analysts that marketers and product companies are always trying to speak to and get in front of and share our stories and our innovations with. Can you tell us about your journey from analyst to internal marketer at CrowdStrike? Absolutely. Just really excited to be here. And Yeah, happy to go into all this. I think I can't speak for everyone, but it does seem like a lot of us on the marketing side, how we actually stumble into the cybersecurity field is pretty serendipitous in a lot of cases. And that's definitely true for me. So I graduated from Wesleyan University with a Bachelor of Arts degree and majored in government or political science. It's one of those educations where you learn to learn (laughs) and then figure out where else you want to take it. And so I fortunately happened to have a family friend with someone who was working at Forrester and they introduced me to the company and like, you like technology, right? I said, yes, I do love technology. I love futzing around with it. I'm not a coder, but I love getting into the weeds of it as much as possible. That kind of began the journey there. It actually took me three, maybe even four positions where I interviewed at Forrester to get in the door there. It was also 2009, which was a terrible time to enter the workforce. But anyway, the team that I started on at Forrester was the security and risk team, but it was not the first team that I interviewed for there. It was a consumer product strategy team. In any case, I was just excited to get in the door and get started. And it was one of those things where when I first started, a lot of people weren't too aware of cybersecurity. People, you know, actually more people referred to it as information security back then. And you know, not that it was that long ago, but it was a significant time ago, 2010. And it was really just a number of events, that I think, brought security even more to the forefront, right? Like Edward Snowden and then Target Breach and Home Depot and just a number of other kind of major breaches and events that just continued to bring it to the forefront of the public mind. So anyway, I started as a research associate, which is not super glamorous, but you get involved in the research of all of the analysts across the team. And over time, if they like you and if you're good at your job, you can work your way up. And that was just what I did. So for the first five years, I was a research associate and researcher. And then the second half of my tenure there, I was an industry analyst. I still know a lot of the people at Forrester can't say enough good things about it. It gives you this really interesting perspective. You are both getting briefed by vendors like CrowdStrike and many others. And you're also advising and working with end user practitioners and CISOs and trying to help them understand their problems. And in some cases, holding therapy sessions, 30-minute therapy (laughs) sessions, essentially. And then after 10 years there, a little under that, I realized that 
if I stayed too much longer at Forrester, I would be getting pigeonholed as an industry analyst for my entire career. Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved it, it wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do for my entire career. And so I made the jump over to the vendor side, the dark side, as they call it. Well, they do. They do say that oh, yeah. at Forrester and I have the analysts say that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Selling your soul to the vendor side, right? Oh. Exactly. Gosh. Exactly. But I haven't looked back. I'll never say never, but I don't know if I'll go back. I'm just absolutely loving the role of marketing on a security vendor. So I had two short stints at positions at threat intelligence startups. One was a company called Insights that was acquired by Rapid7. And then I was also at Flashpoint for a year before joining CrowdStrike. Oh, very cool. We had the CMO of Flashpoint speak at Cyber Marketing Con this year. So what was like the most surprising thing? Or the biggest challenge you overcame moving from analyst to internal marketer? I think making that pivot, your perspective has to change and your goals and the speed at which things move changes, right? The work of an analyst is very intense and you're pulled in a number of different directions and you essentially are the product, right? You are pushing out reports and working on slide decks and doing a lot of the same type of work that you do as I did as an internal marketer, especially on the product marketing side. But how you kind of align to business objectives and kind of changing from this person who is advising to actually rolling up your sleeves and doing what's ever needed. I'd say those are some of the bigger kind of changes that took a little bit of time to adjust to. It wasn't, okay, I have to write a report. It's okay. You have to come up with the plan to produce a number of net new leads of hitting these different types of metrics. And in some cases, especially at the startups that I worked at, it was a lot more of you need to define what those metrics and what those performance goals are. So that's really, I'd say the biggest challenge, but also something I was kind of looking to do. I wanted to see that. I wanted to experience that. That change in mindset hits home very closely. I've had to do that same shift recently too, from very, very early stage startup to a more established company, not having to wear many hats. It's a completely different world. So I can relate there a lot. Yeah. Going from kind of a startup culture and startup sized company to CrowdStrike, that was the other big change too. We were over 200 employees or so, maybe closer to 300 at Flashpoint. I can't exactly remember, but somewhere in that range. And when I started at CrowdStrike, which was a little over a year ago, we were just under 4,000 employees. And today we're over 7,000. Wow. And I think maybe even closer to 8,000. So it's crazy how fast we're growing, but also the size and scope of what we're trying to get done at CrowdStrike is entirely different. So going back to your analyst days, or actually just going back to that sort of topic, what do you wish could happen in the future from an analyst and security vendor relationship standpoint? What are some things you wish you could change today or hope that you could see in the future? The analyst vendor relationship is one that I think is actually really important. And it's not just important from an influence standpoint for the vendor, but it's also one where if you're an analyst and you're asking the right questions and you're inquisitive, you can actually learn a lot from the vendors, right? A lot of times when you're an analyst, you're picking up new coverage, you're picking up new spaces that you want to really understand. And so vendors can be that subject matter expert in some ways where you're getting briefed on what the differentiators for the company are, what the capabilities are. And you can even pretty much make requests to speak to some of the 
technical people that are building the products or in some cases, like let's say it's threat intelligence, right? You can talk to some of the threat researchers that are actually investigating a lot of the forward top of mind adversary research that's taking place. And so you can learn a lot if you are in the right mindset as an analyst. And I think that two-way, that back and forth interaction that you have between the vendor and the analyst, you can be a really positive push and pull. So I think in terms of what I'd like to see changed is still a lot of vendors, I think, do this wrong. Marketers do this wrong as well. We tend to think that oftentimes if you just brief the analyst, right? You do it once, you say your piece, you have this perfect deck with the perfect slides and visuals. And okay, now it's all you know wrapped up, it's said and done. We can come back to them in another six months and update them on what's happened. But in the, the analyst mind, if they are good. They remember a lot, but they don't remember all of it. And after a week or so, the vast majority of what the vendor pitched to the analyst is already kind of forgotten, or at least definitely not top of mind anymore. So building those actually deeper relationship takes work. And it's an ongoing process that you have to be repeating and involved in. And if you're just pushing, if you as the vendor are just pushing out your messaging and your information updates, then I would say in a lot of cases, you're not going to be able to engage or really build the right type of relationship where you actually are working on understanding the trends and working with analysts to understand how to fit and message and position in that space in the right ways. So I think the mistake that a lot of marketers and a lot of vendors make is to just brief someone, to just brief the analysts where really you want to be setting up time to follow up as soon as you've done the briefing, follow up with the analysts, ask them questions about what do you think of these slides? Where could we improve? What else is resonating in the conversations you're having with customers? Those are all things that the more kind of back and forth and the more interactive you can get, the better the outcomes are ultimately going to be. This is awesome advice. I don't think a lot of marketers could find this kind of advice anywhere. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Hey, this is all you. You're bringing it to them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So let's fast forward to what you're doing today at CrowdStrike. What's the day in the life of a PLM at CrowdStrike? Man, it's different every day. And I'm sure most people say that. The biggest challenge that we have, which I'd say like, no matter what company you're at, right, there's challenges. And that's kind of why you take on the job is to help solve those challenges and to work on them. So out of all the challenges for a company to have, I think this is the one that you want to have, right? Which is we are growing too fast. We're in many ways a product of our own success. It was around, I want to say 2011. And since its founding, and it's just seen astronomical exponential growth. Then the company was taken public about three years ago. And we've continued that trend even after IPOing. And so all that sounds great, which it is. The problems are that a lot of the process that you you need to put in place and a lot of the ways in which your company is producing and performing at that level, you have to evolve quickly to adapt as your company reaches these you know amazing benchmarks. And in some ways, when you are just continually successful, you're somewhat a product of your own success, right? There could be things that actually aren't working, but because everything's going so well, you haven't had to take too hard of a look at it. So yeah. So I think that kind of thinking just about my role is how do we get the right operational hygiene in place from a marketing standpoint, thinking about how, and I guess I should have answered your question up front. I'm a PMM for our Falcon Complete, our managed detection and response, our MDR offering. 
as well as Falcon Overwatch, which is our proactive 24-7 threat hunting service. Anyway, all that to say that there's a huge portion of how do we fit and understand our products in the broader context of what CrowdStrike does and portfolio solutions that we offer. And how do we get the right visibility within the company to make sure that people are aware of what we're doing and are selling us in the right way that we want to sell them? Anyway, there's a lot that's going on. And there's a lot of ways in which we're really starting to make a lot of progress on these fronts that I've been talking about. It's interesting. I stuck on what you said just at the beginning of your answer of hygiene and operational hygiene, which when I think of product marketers, and maybe this is just me, I think of people who are like talking to customers and like writing content and like thinking about messaging and they're not as focused on operational hygiene as potentially the demand gen folks or the mops folks. And it's, it's just completely probably incorrect from my end, but operational hygiene, what is that? How are you cleaning your hygiene, making sure that your hygiene is operationally sufficient as a PMM? It is a term that I probably stole from some security pitch deck or talking point that it's like, oh, that resonated. But the point is that how do we do things more consistently and how do we make sure that there's documentation to support the repeatable workflows that we're doing, right? Like the documentation and the process and the people involved for a product launch. Do you know exactly what that looks like? Who should be involved? what the steps are, who needs to review and approve items, right? There's so many different phases of a project for a product launch, or in some cases for me, it's also major thought leadership reports as well. So we have at least some of the process in place, but as our company has grown, we've added new functions and we've added more people and needed to kind of adapt our process to that. So from my standpoint, what I mean by operational hygiene is how we just get more consistent with all of that. And ultimately, it does come back to the MOPS and to the demand gen. And it's thinking about how we actually are understanding our business from a demand gen perspective and being able to slice and dice data and tag it in different ways so that we can be nimble and the data supports and can be used and fits a number of different product teams within the company. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows, and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. So in a perfect world, what's the balance for a product marketer in terms of doing product marketing in a demand gen perspective versus doing product marketing internally where, you know, you're talking to the product managers and you're talking to the dev team and you're in sync with that side of the business to make sure you bring back all the insights, all the updates, everything that we need on the marketing side. And I ask this question because I find a lot of times there is a lot of imbalance where product marketers get entrenched in the internal and not enough marketing out there of the actual product or vice versa, where 
you're doing a lot out there without truly understanding the product and regularly talking to dev and engineering. What in your mind could be that perfect balance between the two? It's too hard of a question to like say because both are important. I would say that more of your time has to be spent on producing the external components of it, right? Because ultimately, especially from a product marketing, at least from my point as a PMM, there's a certain level of reliance I have to have that I understand the core capabilities of the product. And while I need to continue to get updates and continue to understand how we're evolving the product and what that roadmap looks like and how we can tell a good story around it, there's a lot more that I need to be taking all that information and pushing it out and supporting all these other people to make sure that they're enabled to work and achieve their goals and their team's work, all while kind of relying on me to provide that or rely on PMM to provide that type of understanding of what the product is. This may be, in some cases, a little bit focused in the security area. I do think that it, because it's such a security, such a complex market, it's such a complex set of both technologies and operations and process, and it's constantly evolving along with the threat environment. And so in order to think about the rest of the marketing team or the rest of the business, even outside of product and engineering, we oftentimes are, as PMMs, are the ones that people outside of product and engineering that they come to for for that type of information. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be always staying on top of where the trends are going and how our technologies and products are evolving. But even more important, I think, is really how we're communicating all of that to both internal and external stakeholders. Well said. Well answered. Here's your get out of podcast jail card. I got it. I did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we have one last juicy one for you before everyone gets to take, uh, well, actually, then before we play our game, it's interesting to hear this perspective from you, Nick, about actually you need to do more of the outbound stuff because you could just do as much inbound stuff as you want. But if it doesn't go outbound, like who cares? Who We're else trying to sell products. Right. <laughs> what does the future of product marketing look like to you? Where's the role going? And as an analyst, you're going to have the best view because I'm sure you have an analyst eagle eye view on this as a sure as like a big, I don't know, like a big industry or like the field. Tell us, tell us where the future is heading. Where the product marketing role is going is, I want to say something controversial here, but I, I don't have anything too controversial to say, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I want to be like, the, the PMM role is dead, but uh, no. it's not, it's not. It's not, and it's thriving. Um, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. Um, the reality is the PMM role continues to be more important. For anyone that is in the PMM role right now, I guarantee that they have multiple requests from recruiters on LinkedIn being like, hey, are you interested in X, Y, and Z job? Because they're, we're in such high demand. I say this because... I think it is such a hard position to hire for. And it's also the problem hiring for industry analysts. And it's actually not too much of a surprise that when I left Forrester that I took on a PMM role, because we actually see it happen a lot, both analysts coming from a PMM position at a vendor to Forrester, to whatever, Gartner, et cetera, but also the reverse where you know analysts are leaving and taking on PMM roles. And it all comes back to where, you know, we were starting this conversation. The work at the end of the day between the two roles is similar. It's different objectives, different teams, different stakeholders, but 
it's a unique combination of communication skills, both written and verbal, understanding of technology and real technical and in many cases, boring parts of like legal and regulatory requirements and compliance standards <laughs> and things like that to then being able to actually engage and be client facing. And all of that gets tied up into, you can be a strong PMM in a few different areas, but you still need to have kind of a core set of capabilities across those. And it's especially in cybersecurity, it's, it's hard to find those people. Unless technologies are suddenly going to get intuitive, which it's getting better. User interfaces are certainly better than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And so I think that where the product marketing role is headed is really becoming this like internal subject matter expert. And it's being able to, you know, handle a variety of different requests and at the same time, have it all be based in data and have it all be based in understanding of where clients are going, but also where overall market trends are going. That's kind of where I see it headed as being more influential in that standpoint. I think we'll kind of continue to see that for the foreseeable future. Amazing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Torture Product Marketer. <laughs> now we're going to play our game. So Nick, at the end of every episode, we play a game where we guess if you are not what you are doing now, which is product marketing, cybersecurity marketing, or what you were doing in the past, which is being an analyst, what you would be doing. Maria, do you want to go first this time? Do you have like a slim chance to win? Yeah, and I'm not going to cheat this time. I think, Nick, you would be an elementary school teacher. I don't know which subject, but I could see you teaching little kids. You seem like you have the kind of patience that, you know, usually brings multiple teams within a company to agree. <laughs> product, <laughs> map, product positioning, all of that. That's a hard job. So, yeah, teacher. I think that you would work for a really cool, maybe consumer tech company, like designing future products. Being like, oh, yeah, and now we're going to like plug it into your brain and it's going to have like this feature. You're going to be able to order coffee from your brain stem or something like that. I was going to say I was so close to saying consumer products. I was going to say you would be doing product marketing, but on the consumer side. I swear to God, I was so close to saying it. Well, this is not product marketing. This is product so management. So okay, what you're saying don't... is I have the right job. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so who wins? What do you think, Nick? Oh, man. Is retirement an option? No. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you can say, yeah, I would be like a social media influencer. And we're like, totally. Yeah. That's like a lot of people say that. <laughs> Going back and forth. Maria, I'll give it to you. I think being a teacher, yeah, I would do that. If I were not going to have a product marketing job, if I weren't going to be in this area, I'd want to do something just completely different. And again, I'm not going to say it's, this is an easy job. I know many teachers that I don't know how they do it. And I am thankful for them every day. But I could see myself doing that. And you know, let's start bringing up the future generations, all aware and understanding of security. Love that. Love that. Yes, I won today. I won many times today. This is a good day. Very good. <laughs> What's the record? I'm just literally pulling. I'm trying to. Oh, here we go. I pull it up. All right. Because Nicole's been keeping track. Gianna oh seven, God. Maria four. So oh. we're going to make that eight and five. Four including. Okay. I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And some of them were ties, but I'm still ahead, my friends. 
<laughs> yeah. Morocco didn't beat Greece this time around. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Morocco beat Spain today, and that's a big win. I'm definitely celebrating right after this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, Nick, thank you so much for being on our episode and dealing with our ridiculous nighttime banter and difficult questions. Where can people find you if they want to ask you more about product marketing and learn about the potentially open positions at CrowdStrike? We're hiring. So yeah, if you're interested, let me know. You can find me on LinkedIn, Nick Hayes, or on Twitter. My handle is Nick Hayes 10. Not too exciting, but easy to find. Very cool. You're number 10 of all the Nick Hayes that we know. No, just kidding. You're oh, number good, one. Good. I'm glad I made the top 10. I'm <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> Thank you again for being on the episode. Maria, take it away. Thanks for listening today. We hope you found this conversation insightful. And if you didn't, it's all Nick's fault. Don't forget to, to check in every Wednesday for a brand new episode. Subscribe so you get alerts for every new episode that we drop. And give us five stars and tell everyone about us and our show. Thanks for listening and your support. <laughs>